Hello and welcome to the Aruka Network podcast. I'm Jake Lloyd and the idea behind this podcast is that you join me as I speak with someone involved in an exciting and influential community project somewhere in the world. We've been from the highlands of Kenya to a market town in southwest England and from there to Freetown in Sierra Leone. This month, rather than travelling geographically, we're going to travel through time. You might have heard an expression before that says, to know where you were going, you first need to know where you have been. And this sentiment is the subject of this week's podcast. You might know by now that we recently changed our name. As I sit down and record this, Aruka Network is in fact only a week old. We changed our name for a few different reasons, but I think the main one was that we wanted to prepare ourselves for the future. But as we look to the future, I think now is also a good time to look back to the past of our organisation. And who better to do that with than our co-founder and co-leader, Dr. Ted Lancaster. So last week, the two of us sat down to discuss the past, the present and the future of Aruka Network. I spoke to Ted for about half an hour and I began by asking him why he became a doctor in the first place. Well, I guess looking back, I was quite lucky. I was brought up in a, in a kind and loving family. I had a father who was a doctor. He was a wonderful family doctor. And re- really from quite an early age, I thought I'd love to be um, a family doctor. And indeed, after quite a few um efforts at uh, getting into universities and changing my mind several times. I I did complete my medical training. I then traveled quite a lot and uh, tried to explore the world and try to answer questions I had about my faith. Um, I was not somebody to be easily tied down and just uh, put into a box. I wanted to get out there and discover things. And I did, after some wonderful overseas trips, settle down and become what I would call a pretty sort of normal family doctor. And I enjoyed that very much for seven years in London. And then something very surprising happened to me over a 24-hour period. At this stage, I was married. I had three gorgeous little girls. They were all under five. And I felt a very strong vocational call, call from God to leave my job, which was very well paid, and go out to work in a remote part of the Indian Himalayas to try and bring health care to, to, to groups where there wasn't any care at all, unlike in London, where there was a huge amount. And so we left. Everybody was very upset and thought we were silly, but we got on a plane and we flew out as a family and we went and lived up in the Indian Himalayas and uh, and had seven years there. And was that with an organisation then? Well, it was originally just basically us and the invitation of one or two people out there saying, we, we've heard that you've been to India before, would you like to join us? Um, but basically we weren't with an organisation and we didn't have a salary. Okay. Uh, we prayed that God would provide the money we needed and off we went. And so what, what kind of doctor were you? Were you, the, uh, you a family doctor? Yeah, so I was a family doctor, just seeing patients coming into the clinic every day when I was in London. But in in the Himalayas, it was completely different. To start with, of course, we had to settle down into our little tin house, which was 
in a very beautiful location, but it was small and it was very dirty and we killed 47 rats in the first week running around the house which actually my children came to love the rats playing on the staircase at that and point it's one of their strongest memories of childhood at, at that point did you think you'd maybe made a mistake leaving your comfortable london existence no i i loved it and we were there in the middle of the uh, rainy season so we had marvelous thunderstorms and lightning and uh, and I found it all very magical and wonderful. But uh, the the real mission and the real hope and the passion that I had was uh, at the invitation of some of the local uh, villages. When I say local villages, there are th- there are hundreds of scattered villages in the Indian Himalayas um, with no health care. And the idea was not to go and do health for people. It was to go and sit down, drink tea, play with the kids, listen have meetings, and find out what they wanted and how they could define their own problems and what they could do about it. And, of course, it was wonderful to discover that they had quite a few ideas. And um, initially, of course, the idea was, can you come and set up a hospital in our little village and bring us an ambulance? But after a few uh, a few weeks we found that people said, I know what you could do. You could train people in our village so that we can do healthcare ourselves. Mm. And we thought, aha, that's a wonderful answer. Why didn't we do that? I was hoping that people would say that. So over the next uh, few years, we worked with local communities and, uh, and to our great delight realized that the 50 or so community health workers who were trained by our team were able to look after about 70% of the health problems in the village without any referral to hospital um, or anybody actually le- needing to leave leave the village apart from needing surgery. So who was so your team? It was an exciting seven years. Who was your team at this point? Yeah, so we had a team. I was the only foreigner. The team were a group of very passionate uh, Indian friends, mostly in their 20s, um, who had the same vision and the same dream, and uh, and we all worked together, and then we worked together with our our village health workers, our community health workers. So there was quite a large team, and I was not the leader. Uh, I guess I was in some ways, um, but more I was the person who listened and and pointed people to suggestions, and I learned a huge amount myself. So to some extent, we were piloting a new way of doing community development, which depended on the community doing it and us accompanying them. And was this kind of thing, um, just just trying to explain to me how pioneering or revolutionary or otherwise th- this was at the time in, in terms of global health? Well, it was it was quite innovative. There was a, an amazing movement which had been set up by the World Health Organization called Health for All by the year 2000. And, of course, it was this wonderful dream that by the year 2000, everybody in the world would be healthy. And um, so a few years before the year 2000, I was out there in India, and, of course, it was not going to happen by the year 2000, but there was still a sense that there was a sort of health movement worldwide. And if we could just get it right we just work with communities, if we could set up innovative programs with the community involved and leading it, um, it could usher in a new era of health and development. And there were two or three other programs that were working along the same way. I learned from them. Uh, but I guess we were probably one of the uh, sort of early pioneers of this 
uh, of this way of doing things, which has now become very much more standard. Okay. Let, let's move on to, it was presumably during this time that you came up with the, the, the idea of a cluster. Is that right? Well, yes. So for, for a number of years, we were really just, um, our team was just working in setting up actually a number of different health programs. And then when we left after five to 10 years and revisited, we found that actually there were a whole number of small community health programs um, sort of arising all over the place in that whole area of the Himalayas within about 100 square miles. And I can remember um, on one occasion when I was back there with my family, we, we were in a, we had hired a a jeep and we were parked in the most amazing uh, view place we were looking at a mountain called chokumba which means four pillars and uh, it's over seven thousand meters high and you can look north south east and west this is right in front of this mountain and as i look north uh, south east and west i realized there were there were hundreds of villages many of whom were too far to see and lots of different health programs who didn't really speak to each other, meet much, partly because of distance and partly because of inclination. So 10 years after leaving, I thought the, 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 the new issue here is not starting new health programs with, with the community, but it's bringing together all the different groups that have already started, but are not collaborating. So I had this dream and this thought, which actually really burnt into my sort of being for quite a while with one or two other people. How can we get groups of people who've got the same sort of similar vision, passions and desires, how can we get people together to throw away their differences or at least acknowledge them, sit around the table, get to appreciate and even love each other and work together? So I thought, well, let's give it a let's give it a go. So um, I and a friend of mine from India, uh, we decided we would go back together. This was back in the early year, about 2005, and uh, and we would call together 15 different programs. We had had some connection with them, but we didn't really know very much about them. Um, and they came together. The leaders came together for three days. And uh, we didn't quite know how to handle this or what to do next. So um, we started by uh, obviously everybody introducing themselves. And then I, uh, I stood up and I said, look, we're all here and uh, we're probably all quite pleased with some of the things we've done. And we could all stand up and say, you know, how great our project is. But I said, that's not the point. What we want to actually do is to be real with each other, honest. So I'm going to suggest that each program leader stands up and says the things that their project, their program is not very good at doing, their vulnerabilities, their weaknesses, so that others who have got those particular skills can come in and say, oh, proposal writing, we're good at doing that. And marvelously, over three days, we found that people were sharing very, very genuinely. There were friendships being uh, built up. People were visiting each other's projects. And within a few years, the number grew from 15 to 50 uh, different organizations, which now are all united in one big cluster. Yeah, yeah. I love that, that they... Um... 
what brought them together and forged those relationships was seeing the needs of others and their and their capacity to help address those needs is that is that right yes i think it was i think it was that and i think it was also the feeling that um very often small programs feel a little bit intimidated by the government um and here were a group of programs who felt that if they could come together and speak with one voice the government would listen to them and they could work more effectively with the government health services and of course that's exactly what happened so the government came to hear about about what they were doing liked it and then started to contract out specific services to members of the cluster um and that include included things which it was it's very difficult to do in remote areas disability programs blindness tobacco control uh, diabetes and high blood pressure, things which really would never have got looked into. The cluster with their sort of skill mix and their passion could really get involved and work closely with the government. So it, it turned out to be a win-win for everybody and continues to be by the grace of God too. So we're very excited about that. So this cluster in India was the the first cluster of what was then called the Community Health Global Network, and it's, it obviously has grown considerably from there. Do you want to describe how, as it's grown, it's um, become different, or how it's how it's evolved? Because obviously we've now changed our name. We're Aruka Network rather than Community Health Global Network, and that change is in part a reflection of how how the organisation has evolved. Do you want to describe that? Or try and summarise that evolution for us. Yes, I'll, I'll try to. That's um, that's going to be quite difficult because there's so many <laughs> different components to it. But I'll I'll try to just to give you a bit of a sequence on that. Uh, just by going back to start with with the, the cluster there, I think what we've we we tried to identify the secrets of success, and I put the actually the the the, the top was excellent leadership, mm. and. Uh, that was partly through training and partly through people's inherent abilities. And as a result, uh, that whole cluster started to be very effective because it was so well organized. So at this stage, um, we had two or three other members working with us as volunteers, um, one or two friends from Australia. And uh, we thought, okay, so if that's worked so well in one part of the world, I wonder if it might work somewhere else. So we had some friends in Kenya who said, by the way, we've heard about this, this cluster idea, and we just wonder if you might like to come and uh, and see if we could work together in Kenya. So we did um, quite a few years back, and we had a very, apparently, we had a very successful meeting. Uh, and there were... I recall 10 different groups that said they wanted to work together, but it didn't work quite as well as we wanted because people were more thinking, what can we get from these outsiders rather than what can we do ourselves to support each other? So through a lot of discussions and further visits, we um, especially when Elizabeth joined us, we had the opportunity of refounding that next cluster in Kenya. Um, and we found that there was a real change of attitude and understanding. And it's been very exciting to see how a wonderful group of people, some of them very gifted from a whole variety of backgrounds in a 
town called Caricho, have now started to form a very effective cluster with their own uh, gifted leaders and a whole variety of different things they've been involved with. So great to see that being extended to a completely different context. Yeah, because, I mean, they're, they're, there are health workers there, but there are also kind of artists and mentors and videographers and all this stuff. It's um, it's amazing how, how it's expanded from what sounds like initially was a, a network of of health workers in India. Well, absolutely. So, uh, so this has been one of the very exciting ways in which um, our original community health global network has been has been evolving and uh, and extending. And I think we need to sort of think quite carefully what we mean by health. We don't necessarily mean health care. We don't mean necessarily just. Uh, people looking after others in hospitals and homes with medicines and so forth and so on. That's all very important. But health is a much wider thing. We want we want to think of health, well-being and happiness of individuals, families, neighbourhoods, communities, all the different things that contribute to the health, well-being and happiness of a community. And if you start to think about it, there are a huge number of things. Having enough money, so income generation, um, making sure that you're not messing up the environment, so you're keeping a careful watch on the on the forest, so they're not being cut down. Uh, you're wanting to make sure that the farming is done as well as possible, and if necessary, bring in experts who can I- improve the quality of the soil or give new varieties of crops. So the whole nutritional side. And then water supply. All the different things which we say are sort of upstream causes for ill health. So basically, if you can deal with a whole lot of these, what are now called terrible terms, social determinants, these determinants of health, if you deal with them at a sort of higher level, you won't have to do nearly so much stuff in clinics and hospitals and homes in curing people because they will already be healthier by those things you've done. Yeah. And so the exciting thing is that you, you bring in the environmentalists, you bring in the farmers, you, get in, you bring in the educationalists and the teachers. Uh, and you also, to complement that, bring in a whole bunch of people with different specific skills that can be used to improve health and to improve collaboration. And of course, classically, that's um, storytellers and photographers, um, sometimes poets, but people who are bringing new perspectives and can communicate. So speaking personally, have you found it challenging? So you've had this kind of medical training to fix people you kind of acquire these skills in order to fix people and 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 now but what you're describing is a huge expansion of understanding of what health is and also this community-based approach which is partly sort of relinquishing your perhaps control as a as a as a doctor and as an expert if, is that has that been a, a sort of challenge for you over the years well it's interesting you ask that i think for some doctors that is a real challenge this sense of wanting to um you know, be, be the person in control and, uh, and and know how to fix things and so forth and so on. If I go right back to my times as a, as a family doctor in England, we were actually the, probably one of the first uh, groups of doctors in England who decided to set up a uh, practice magazine. Um, and this was led by patients 
who edited it and put in their own stories and invited doctors and nurses and physiotherapists to put their stories in and we would meet together. And there was a sense in which the doctor-patient sort of division started to disappear. And we all thought of ourselves more like, uh, you know, we're all involved with health. We've got certain expertise as doctors, but actually patients know a lot about their own bodies, far more than the, than the doctor does. Mm. Uh, and so we started to think in this much more what I would call cohesive, integral, horizontal way. And I have to say, I have, although I still practice as a doctor in London one or two days a week and see patients, I love this whole idea that the community is getting involved, that, that a whole range of people come up with ideas, that the doctors are just one player amongst many and very often not the best people to lead programs at all. That is often much better done by community leaders. So for me, this is actually something I love. I love this horizontal approach, uh, this sort of public public health and well-being approach that um, Aruka Network is really moving into. Yeah, and so it stands to reason that you would be so enthusiastic about this new name Aruka this word almost has a sort of special significance for you do you want to do you want to talk a bit about that yes thank you I I would love to I mean I you know we as you uh, know we we have been until Monday of this week we've been called Community Health Global Network which was a rather uninspiring descriptive uh, term of what we did everybody got muddled up with a name and, and and forgot it and so forth and so on and so we all felt it was time for a sort of rethink and and a discussion about what would be a good name and uh, Jake in your um, I don't know your devotions or your reflections you yourself came up with this extraordinary word Aruka well, I think the, and, he, the um, Hebrews did um, a couple of, well, a few, few, few millenniums ago. But... <laughs> you, you, discovered it, you discovered this as a, as a Hebrew word mm. and, um, and, and explained to us uh, the meaning of this, of this word, which um, I, I've recorded. And Aruka is a Hebrew word meaning complete healing or restoration. This can be physical, mental or spiritual healing, and we extend this to encompass the healing of societies and environmental restoration too and um i thought well this is this is a new word um i wonder what to make of it and um and then i can't remember who pointed out that this was a word that was new that, that was used once or twice in the uh, in parts of the um old testament in the bible and in particular in a book called Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a sort of prophet, and his job was to rebuild a sort of broken-down city. And uh, this is the personal side, which was extraordinary. Um, and some people uh, will identify this, and some people will think this all sounds rather strange. But when I was about 25, shortly after I discovered uh, that I really believed in God after having been an atheist for a number of years, or at least an agnostic. Um, I, I read something and spoke to somebody, and I felt that God was giving me a sort of lifelong message, which was about rebuilding and restoring walls and cities. And until last year, well, until when we first came up with the word Aruka, I thought, 
the funny thing is there's something in my life which I've felt has never quite been fulfilled. And now I suddenly realize that the word Aruka is actually the word that is describes the rebuilding of the walls in this in this chapter which had been dropped into my head. Yeah. So I thought this is this is this is wonderful. So ever since then I've been hugely enthusiastic about not just the name but all it stands for the healing the restoration the coming together. Well you, you said you said just then that that you felt this was your lifelong work or something like that. Um so I guess on that note it's probably uh, we can kind of look forward to the future now that CHGN has become a Ruka network. We've taken this new step um, into the into the unknown a bit, I suppose. Like, what, what's uh, what are your hopes now for the future? Because I know we've got we've got numerous plans. Yes, um, I, I, indeed. I think one of the wonderful things about um, the, the way um, a Ruka network is has been developing over the last few months and is, is doing so now is the way in which so many people from different backgrounds and and uh, from different perspectives are contributing and getting excited sharing ideas it's becoming more and more of a sort of collaborative shared network as the as the word actually means and um i, I love that environment of the sharing of new ideas and looking at how things that have been done in the past which haven't necessarily worked very well can be done in new ways in the future and I have to say that uh, my excitement about uh, the, the renaming of our organization and the term Aruka Network is that it's, it's, it's beginning to define or suggest a, a, a new way of doing uh, international development. Not the only way. There will be lots of different ways in this very complicated world where things are more and more difficult all the time but but we do feel that we're coming up with some ideas which we are all very excited about and um between us and largely led by uh, elizabeth and jake we've been writing this uh, very exciting manifesto and we're calling it the ruka network a manifesto for development and can I suggest that anybody who's listening to this, um, please look up, look this up on the website because it tells you uh, what we really uh, hope to do. And uh, there's one paragraph there which I really love, and I'm just going to read that out. Um, and it goes like this. When development starts with community members coming together, taking stock of their own knowledge and skills, using these to pursue shared goals and inviting in external skills and knowledge where needed, then development becomes part of a much wider community process, one that builds stronger relationships, that forges better leaders, that kindles an entrepreneurial spirit, and that ultimately improves the health, well-being, and future of a whole community. Um, sorry, a lot of words there, but I feel there's some fantastic secrets which we're wanting to explore and develop with others as we expand um, the coverage of Aruka Network to include more clusters uh, working more effectively, more countries, um, but also a, a deeper ability to make sure that this collaboration, this community centre becomes more and more effective and really works and we can measure the fact that it works. 
Uh, so those are some of those some of the excitements that I've got for the future. There are many more, but that's a little summary, I guess. Well, the other one, I mean, right at the beginning of this, you mentioned the importance of good leadership within a community and good leadership in terms of pursuing health. And uh, leadership's one of our big, big plans. Investing in leadership is one of our big plans for the future, isn't it? Absolutely. So just uh, going a little back, back in a circle on that. So that was, um, as I mentioned, a re- really, really crucial part and remains so of our Uttarakhand uh, cluster that I was talking about. I've also just been involved in, uh, in writing a book for Oxford University Press, which is called Setting Up Community Health Programs, a practical manual for low and middle income countries. And uh, this book is written by, there are about 20 of us involved in it. And we talk about all sorts of things, how to best set up a TV program or how best we do this, that and the other. But actually, the key chapter, the key chapter in that book is about uh, leadership and management and how you can lead and manage effectively, kindly, relationally and effectively. And as we've uh, visited different clusters and we, we look at the sort of huge range of problems in the world, I think nearly all of us could probably think of situations where if only there were good leaders politically, socially, in our community, in health, that would be the single most important thing to help make our world a better place. So a really crucial part of um, Aruka Network's future is the leadership development program, which we're working on hard um, with the help of Ernst & Young, now known as EY, a famous worldwide uh, financial organization that has been working alongside us to, uh, to draw up a very exciting program, which we're going to pilot in Sierra Leone in a few weeks' time. And we would love this to become, uh, if you like, something in our toolkit, which will be really valuable for a very wide range of people, possibly even beyond the sort of development world. So, yes, the, uh, that's a really important part of our future and once something we're wanting to really emphasise. There you have it. That's me and Ted discussing the past, present and future of Aruka Network. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, as ever, if you have any comments, I would love for you to share them. If you're listening on iTunes, you can do it there. If you're listening on SoundCloud, you can do it there as well. And you can email me as well at jake at arukanetwork.org. That's it for this month. Bye for now.